Hello, and welcome to the Told You So podcast. I'm Brink. And I'm Carla. And today we're going to talk about lockdowns. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so uh, schools, neighborhoods, you know, all these different places where all of a sudden, as a part of society, uh, people have gotten used to police showing up, restricting movement, telling people they can't leave their homes, telling people they can't go to their cars, um, because of some mysterious, evolving, uh, you know, criminal investigation. Um, some scary threat out there that, you know, just means you can't move freely. Right. And this may seem like sort of a, a trivial or, or an issue that doesn't come up all that frequently. Um, but as you'll see later in the show, uh, we've done some research and it turns out that these lockdowns are much more common than you might think. Uh, and they're really a relatively new thing. They're a new phenomenon. And I mean, we can certainly talk about what happens in New Hampshire, which is, you know, our home base. And so, yeah, these things have been going on uh, across America. But I think we should really try to focus on what's happening in our own backyard. And <laughs> sadly, a lot of lockdowns are happening. Certainly where I became very aware of it was with the 2016 West Side lockdown. That was the lockdown of West Manchester that happened after a schizophrenic guy, homeless guy, uh, had gotten a firearm quite legally. And, you know, he was a little crazy. Mm -hmm. And um, I guess the police were out looking for him or someone who looked like him. So if you're a paranoid schizophrenic and people are out looking for you, that's probably a recipe for <laughs> bad things to happen. Yeah. Uh, he ended up shooting a officer right. and then this crazy manhunt. And the officer was fine, uh, you know, non-life-threatening injuries. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there was this huge lockdown. So just for those listeners that are not familiar with this... Um, the guy was actually caught, and the shooting happened at about 2 a.m. The guy got caught around 5 a.m. in the morning, mm -hmm. and then from 5 a.m. until 4 p.m. that afternoon, uh, there was this lockdown in... Well, and just for our listeners, when you say lockdown, why don't, like, explain that in terms of what it meant for your neighborhood, like in concrete terms. What did it mean? So basically what happened was uh, there was a, uh, I don't even think it was an alert at that stage. The way we all found out about it was really through social media. Mm -hmm. This was before the Manchester Police Department encrypted their scanners, which they did in response to our sort of uh, resp our response to the lockdown right. where, you know, we had some rallies and, you know, we wrote some letters to the editor and we pretty much, you know, did a little bit of finger wagging. Um, but... People certainly were ordered back into their homes at gunpoint. I know of one person uh, whose daughter wanted to take her dog out to pee in the morning, like 8 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. She got ordered back into her home at gunpoint. She had no idea what was going on, which is also why these situations are very dangerous. Well, so, it's, it's not like they're telling you, like, hello, citizen, uh, we're in the middle of uh, following, getting a murderer, uh, so we kindly ask you to get it's it's here's the muzzle of my rifle. Get back inside. Right. And, yeah. and I think one of the, yeah, so we got, uh, you know, so people were ordered back into their homes at gunpoint. There were certainly photos that you can find online of uh, officers or, you know, it, it may even have been, we're not quite sure because it was one of those uh, agency responses that right. you now typically see where it's not just the local police, but it will be police plus SWAT plus Homeland, uh, Department of Homeland Security plus you know, sometimes even National Guard, and we'll get into that yeah. in a second. So anyway, so 
pretty much based on social media, everyone was like, oh my goodness, we're in lockdown. Uh, if you're situationally aware, as I am, the three helicopters over my house kind of gave me a clue, too, because right. I wanted to go to yoga. And I was like, why is everything making a noise? And what is happening? <laughs> and let me see on the internet what's happening. And it was like, oh, we're in this lockdown. So we started listening to the scanners. People were communicating. You know, people were, you know, we, we, there are a lot of people that I know. I mean, we, we have a community in our neighborhood. And, um, so it turned out at four o'clock there was a press conference and the police at that stage said, you know, there's no longer any danger to the public. There wasn't any danger to the public from 5 a.m. Right, the guy was morning. already apprehended. Uh, th Weren't they like, they were looking for like a bullet casing or something, Yeah, right? I, be I mean, they said they were looking for the gun. Okay. And that there was a concern because, uh, you know, it was in an area where there are schools. But, you know, if you live in a city, there's right. always an area where there are schools. And so right. if you're going to tie everything to a school, you're really creating geographic problems for people because we all live yeah i mean in this, in this neighborhood i think it's impossible to exist and not be within a thousand feet of a school yeah i think so. you're right i think you're absolutely right and um because so, well, yeah i mean at the bottom of the hill we have the elementary and middle school at the other end of the hill we have the high school yeah. well, i mean this might be the, uh, a decent explanation for why we've experienced so many of these uh lockdowns in our neighborhood yeah and i think i mean i think the frequency is starting to tick up for several reasons. I think that, you know, just culturally and sort of based on this fear mongering with the school shootings and yes, of course, these things are happening, but it's also the response. The question becomes, is the response appropriate for the situations? Yeah. And so maybe that's one of the things we wanted to talk about based sort of on your research brink of like, where do lockdowns come from? Yeah. So, it's kind of an interesting history. Again, this is a relatively new thing. Um, in terms of like public parlance, uh, a neighborhood being quote unquote locked down, um, there's, there's mentions of that sort of thing. I mean, all right, so th this requires a little bit of a history lesson. Um, in, As it should. <laughs> <laughs> so in America, in the 60s, there was real like social loss of cohesion, if that makes sense. There were summers where every weekend there was a riot in a major city. Um, there was a real sense of things are falling apart. Law enforcement is, you know, incapable of dealing with these threats that we have to deal with. Um, and I mean, so they, this was like the thing that police in general were responding to. And also it should be mentioned that in the sixties, we have this idea of like, there's this concept of presentism where you think that the way things are now is the way that they've always been and the way that they'll always be. Um, so we assume, oh, of course they had police departments and commanders and uh, the Department of Justice oversaw it all. And, but, you know, not true. Um, in the 60s, uh, I mean, in, in prisons, they still had a thing called a armed trustee system where there weren't even prison guards. Typically it was like a sheriff and then they would deputize prisoners to guard other prisoners. They oh, would, interesting. Yeah, I mean, it was... Uh, that doesn't it's seem like, like a very good it's system. It's like putting the sadists <laughs> in charge of the sadists was the way that it worked out most. You know, you find the meanest prisoner. You know, it, it, it's kind of a horrible... Anyway, point being, these were some of these weird informal uh, setups. And, you know, a lot of towns would just have, like, 
a constable, or even it would be a sheriff's department would service a bunch of towns. But then all of a sudden, when these uh, moments of unrest started to happen, uh, people felt the police were unable to to deal with the issues, and they were unable to make people feel safe, which really matters because people. people feeling safe is sort of like one of those items that's the glue that holds things running together. Um, It's what makes it so that people want to go to work and want to go and improve their lives because they don't feel like everything's going to disappear in a minute. Well, but you know, I I might even take issue with that a little bit. I think that there's been this movement to this sense of safety over everything. I mean, it's sort of the Ben Franklin quote, right, which is really the Mm. debate that we're having now with lockdowns is, Security versus liberty. Which apparently right? that's not Ben Franklin. You know, I read that so, too, I, but I'm almost at the stage <laughs> where I don't believe anything on the internet yeah. anymore because, you know, especially Snopes. I mean, yes, did you see true. that whole thing? A little sideline here, folks, but with the Babylon Bee? Yes. Where they're like, people don't understand satire anymore. And if you don't understand satire, that means you don't understand humor. And it's like, first they came for the satirists, and then there was <laughs> no one left to laugh with me. Well, I mean, I don't know. I just, my, my personal philosophy at this point is I don't use uh, quotes unless I'm looking at the attribution and citation. Because <laughs> even, who was it? I was, I was talking to somebody, and I was like, I wanted to be like, hmm. I do not like what you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it. Voltaire. And then I look and I'm like, but is that Voltaire? Well, and I see, look it up and it's not Voltaire. It's some lady from the 1800s. Uh, well, you know, then <laughs> we can get it, into the whole feministic conspiracy <laughs> as to like all the brilliant things we ladies say that some dude gets credit for. But that's a conversation for another day. Well, anyway, we're far afield here. Point being, uh, quote, attributions are hard. But the substance of what you're saying is absolutely correct. The the security versus uh, liberty. But no, I mean, what I mean, it's not that people have to be safe and comfortable. It's that people have, like, there has to be a certain level of trust in your neighbors and in the people in your space that you're not going to be randomly attacked in public, have your your possessions randomly, you know what I mean? Like, that's what I'm talking about. A feeling of insecurity um, not because, like, I don't know if I'm going to make a living wage, but because, like, holy shit, there's riots all the time. If I try to go downtown, there might be a riot. Well, yeah, you know, and, like, but I think also with the 60s, that was, you know, that was a, a time of turbulence in terms of uh, culture, in terms of, you know, drug use to some extent. Like, I think it was just a big shift, and I think we do see those big shifts every, like, 50 I guess we're really sure. due for one, I know. and and well, the question becomes: Are we due for one that is going to increase human freedom and therefore peace and prosperity, or are we, you know, moving towards a authoritarian, right. tyrannical society, well, which is kind of? And this is what. So this is the interesting thing about history: is that everything is a, a push and a pull. You know, a, a quote that I do know I can attribute is uh, Newton is you know. Uh, every action has an equal and opposite reaction. And it's as true in physics as it is in culture. Um, and really, I mean, the, the wages of the 60s cultural revolution were uh, a new academic culture where all of those values were sort of enshrined for a while. Um, but then a massive reaction from the American police state um, that was the long-term consequence. And I think um, that's really where we are now, right? We're seeing sort of that that march, that goose step towards a authoritarian society where it's like law and order, law and order, and we can't simply have law and order and an overreaction right. 
be the only solution to these situations. And I will say that I think having in a free society lockdowns, which pretty much are martial law, whether it's the military yeah. doing it or whether it's a bunch of dudes in some kind of uniform, sometimes now right. in actual camo uniform with balaclavas, with rifles. Like, I mean, that was the scene on the streets of West Manchester, a right. city of 110,000 people in 2016. Well, dudes <clears throat> with their faces covered with guns, pointing them at some lady in a truck driving to work. Yeah, no, and so, and the reason I'm talking so much about the late 60s early 70s is that uh, one of the they as they were looking to make these reforms it was really to to uh control the inner cities i mean that that was like and there was a major racial element to all this too of course there, this was the it wasn't just the, the white hippies it was the actual political revolution that brought voting rights to black americans and stuff like that so there there was a a bunch of different strains of you know power conflict happening but um as these police were modernizing to, to deal with this, uh, you know, this uh, threat of riots and everything, this is sort of the first time that I saw the terminology lockdown being rolled out outside of the prison context. So it was always a prison term. Well, and not even always. It was something that came about in the 60s. It comes from California, where apparently all good and bad ideas come from. Can we take more <laughs> of the surfing and the weed and a little less of the you know, social control? Yeah. And <laughs> Um, so yeah, it's it's a term that started in jails, right? Right. Prior to, prior to that, it was always in the in the context of inmates are on lockdown. Uh, it means that they are uh, being deprived of you know uh, meals, uh, exercise time, etc., as a punishment for something that happened in the prison. Um, so it's a pretty creepy word to begin with, but. So in the 60s, in this time period, this is when in these uh, law enforcement journals, the people writing everything, I'm just going to quote from one of them. Um, or for, This is a quote from an article that I read, but it includes a quote from one of them. Um, Meanwhile, as a part of police modernization, counterinsurgency became the framework. One law enforcement journal describing what would become the locked down ghetto of the near future advised, quote, techniques to control the people include individual and family identification, curfews, travel permits, static and mobile checkpoint operations, and the prevention of assemblies or rallies. So that sounds an awful lot like a lockdown. <laughs> well, it sounds like a lockdown. And actually, if we, we parse it out, right, we're so like people include individual and family identification. So we're going to, you know, let's let's do away with the family unit and no individual rights. Curfews, which is literally what martial law as well as, hey, you're not allowed to right. leave your house or we expect you to be, you know, not in the park after 5 p.m., whatever. Then travel permits. That is, you know, nowadays, if you get stopped by an officer, they expect you to give your identification. And, you know, I don't encourage anyone. I've done it. It doesn't work out well to be like, no, F you. I'm not gonna. I never yeah. say F you. I'm always very, very, very extremely polite. But I'm just like, uh, is there a law that forces me to fornicate you you know officer. fornicate you officer <laughs> um, and then static and mobile checkpoint operations we do that's know that's all over right that's all over i mean but even dui checkpoints yeah. are something that is unconstitutional per the yeah. fourth amendment well I, and there's there's a whole complicated legal uh set of tests for it yeah, like the, uh, the reasoning for why those are legal if i remember correctly and i'm not a lawyer is that they uh 
they have to do with a crime that can only be committed in while driving. So a checkpoint for drunk driving, like you can have a checkpoint for drunk driving, but you can't have a checkpoint to search for illegal drugs. No, but they do both those things. I mean, no, I, I can show you the statistics Believe me, in New Hampshire. I mean, I'm you just know. talking about like the legal, the reasoning. I know when they have those checkpoints, well, the half the time also, it's like we got a bunch of expired registrations and some dudes and, with and, weed. You know, and some dudes with <laughs> weed, right? And and But, you know, riddle me this. It's just the... The courts, who do the courts work for, right? So, so Supposedly the people. <laughs> right, they, but, but yeah. do they? Right. I mean, I was thinking about it the other day with our, uh, you know, Brink and I are in this lawsuit about surveillance cameras on Elm Street in Manchester. And the original judge, you know, sort of said, I used to work for the ACLU many moons ago. Mm-hmm. You guys need to decide if I need to recuse myself. And I was thinking, you know, why is it that if you work for the plaintiff many moons ago, that might be regarded as a conflict of interest? But the fact that you work for the state, right. are paid by the state to make decisions for the state, yeah. how is that not can, a conflict of interest? Can I get an independent judge? <laughs> I mean, let's, you know, let's have mediation. Let's have arbitration. Let's have independent judges. Ooh. Well, this is a whole new interesting idea. Have, like, a judge draft where you could, like... (laughs) Anyway, different show. Um, As Brink and Carla fix the legal system. Yes. (laughs) Slowly but surely. I mean, we have great ideas. I wish someone would just listen to us. Here's a great idea. Let's let free people move freely, right? Well, honestly, they are listening because I will tell you this... Thank you to our mayor for fixing the pothole at the corner of Conant and Dubuque. I have Ah. asked four times on all four shows, and you know what? It's fixed. Now we just have to get the direct court one done. Yes. But uh, (laughs) If you have a pothole you would like fixed, (laughs) please call. (laughs) But, yeah, so, you know, this this new philosophy of policing, which went far beyond, well, in the American South, policing was like the extension of the slave-catching patrols, basically. But in the North, it was supposed to be this, you know, John Peel's rules of policing from London, where it was all about getting to know the people that you're serving. Uh, you know, it was this concept of policemen as basically friendly helper uh, that was always available if you needed them, not policemen as, you know, uh, inquisitor and executor. <laughs> and so... As time went on, you know, the, these were the ideas that were kind of bubbling and brewing in, in, the, in the minds of law enforcement across the country. We need basically tactical counterinsurgency control. Um, they wanted to start treating American citizens as though they were uh, a foreign force that needed to be put down. Um, and, and maybe part of this is like it's all post-Marshall Plan and people are coming back from like, well, we just left occupied Germany and occupied Japan. Why don't we occupy some neighborhoods in America? But- well, you know, and so with the lockdown, so of course that actually started in prisons. But then the first time I could find that the term had been used was also in California schools. So okay. in the schools, they... Um, they originally, as I understand it, had this concept of lockdowns because you had gang warfare happening on the streets and there might be like shootings on the streets. So and that they was were, also in the 60s as well, right? Yeah. And yeah. they were so they would recommend to children that, gee, you know what would be safe if there's like some something happening out on the street? Maybe we should stay in the school, shelter in place. And we should talk about those terms, too. Right. Yeah. Because there's basically 
as, as far as I can tell, there are sort of four terms that are, you know, have varying degrees of how much finger wagging they're doing and how much <laughs> trouble you're going to get into if you're not listening, right? right. So there's, uh, there's shelter in place, there's um, stay in place, there's uh, something before lockdown, and then there's lockdown. Mm. And then these things can either be orders or advisories. So when we had the West Side lockdown, they used the terms order, right? So it was right. a lockdown order, which is part of what, you know, got people's hackles up. And this wasn't just someone like Carla who has issues with, you know, the police state right. because I grew up with it. This was like professors from right. UNA. Regular people who were trying to go to the grocery store. And people, no, but people who were looking at this and going, hold on a second. Like, what are we doing? How do you lock down a neighborhood of 30,000 people and order well, them to do something? And is, is that a lawful order? What? Like, right? under what color of law yeah. are we doing these things? And that is the million dollar question. Right. right. And it's pretty, I mean, again, it would be one of those situations where it's probably hard to prove that you've been harmed and get standing and everything to even uh, bring this to a court. And I can't imagine, I mean, well, this is something that the legislature could speak on. But again, based on our experience with the lawsuit that we're in, it seems like the, the police are happy to just disregard the law. Well, yeah, when uh, which it's is kind of just, I mean, I hate making like stark statements like that, but it's really true. They it, I mean, it, it's it's funny to I've never seen a, a like the Chiefs Police Association. I've never seen a group that's been so eager to say we just enforce the law that gets written. And then they also lobby and pay money to get the laws that they want written. And then they and then they disobey the, the ones time. they don't like. And so and <laughs> and they're not so, going to arrest themselves. I mean, like, certainly one thing that I've seen. No, not only would they not arrest themselves, um, People need to understand that there is a genuine problem. If you don't know what qualified immunity is, I highly recommend you go do some research. So for those of you who don't know, basically the way it works is if you are a police officer, you have qualified immunity, which means you are held not to the same or a higher standard than a civilian, right. you are held to a lower standard. A much lower standard. Much, much lower standard than anyone else. And I'm like, how can we have a fair and justice system yeah. if that's how the system works? Well, and to put to put it in like uh, concrete context, so the standard is is if a police officer fears for his or her life, then they're justified in using lethal force. So say you have a lockdown, you tell people that they have to stay in their homes. The brass has told you that you're allowed to tell people that they have to stay in their homes. And then, you know, you're, you're a, a five you need an uppity slave like Carla, well, right, who's well, like and, wearing open carrying and walks out of her house. And say so you're, so t- you're going to shoot you're, me or, or even, you know, say you're a tiny, tiny cop, maybe like you're a five, four dude or something. And I walk out and I just woke <laughs> up and I'm, you know, six foot three and look angry and rather ogre-ish and I'm coming right at him. I mean, just by the size differential there, he's justified to kill me. I, of course, he, if I got over it, like if he, if he thought I wanted to fight him right. and, and I made contact, I would, I would be able to, to destroy him. So and, like, and in that case- would, so in that case, if just walking out my door and looking angry would be a justification to gun me down. And in court, they, the officer would probably not be prosecuted for anything. 
they would they would be let off. And I and I don't mean this to be hyperbolic. Oh, and I'm not even, having like a fantasy death trip here. Court, or like, right. Right. I mean, it wouldn't go anywhere. It wouldn't go to court. What would happen the attorney is general. it goes to the attorney general's <laughs> office. They have boilerplate language. You can go to the New Hampshire attorney general's uh, website. Look up justified shootings. There's not one shooting ever that has not been deemed justified ever, yeah. as far as I could find. And if someone finds yeah. one, please let me know. I'd be happy to revise my position. So please go research it for yourself and let me know if I'm wrong. Um, all shootings are justified. Yeah. And it's basically boilerplate language right. at this stage. And so it looks like they've done a lot of research. But, I mean, there have been cases where four, actually, I think it was three officers discharged their firearms. And the AG's report said... Because we deemed it to be um, justified, we are not going to determine which officer fired the shot. So can you collectivize more than that? No. I mean. (laughs) That's crazy. I Um, mean. (sighs) So to get back to lockdowns, though, because I don't want this. I mean, there are genuine like concerns here. There are actual constitutional concerns for people who care about that kind of stuff. But with the schools, so when we had this dangerous situation where it was outside on the streets, right? So children were told with the schools, then stay inside. What has now transpired over time is we realize there are these active shooter situations, right? Mm -hmm. These are oftentimes disenfranchised kids, by which I mean they're, uh, for the most part, there's a mental health issue. Very frequently, if not every time, it is a single uh, family home with only the mother. It's usually a guy. In fact, I think all of them have been dudes so far. Uh, They, across the board, are on SSRI medication and they are um, bullied in school, right? Yeah. So now you put that together. So now we have this situation where the kids are going into the schools. And instead of saying, what is the safest, best way we can keep our children safe? They just took this mentality from the 60s that said, we're going to lock down the school. You right. should shelter in place. Stay where you are. That was when there was a dangerous situation outside. Now <laughs> right. we have a dangerous situation in inside, and we're telling people to do the same thing. That seems counterintuitive yeah. to well, me. Well, and I mean, the, the, there's also, uh, <clears throat> we both looked at this paper that was written by a, a former officer uh, who has looked into these shelter-in-place, lockdown you know, strategies to deal with school shootings. And it's kind of ridiculous. I mean, the <laughs> he says, and I'll just quote from it, uh, When I asked law enforcement officers and school officials how the plan worked, I was stunned by their responses. Law enforcement officers thought the plan was unworkable and made it a point to say that they told their own children not to follow the school plan, but to evacuate the building. School officials seemed unaware of the gaping holes in their plans. When I asked how they trained students, I was told they do not train the students. Several told me that they ran drills for active shooter, but didn't let the students know why they were running the drill. When asked why over 90% of their occupants were not being trained in anything other than the high-risk, passive response for someone attempting to kill them, the answers left me dumbfounded. Worries about liability, accountability, scaring children, and the proverbial it's not going to happen here or it's unlikely were all bandied about. There was no real understanding that the tactics were likely going to lead to the murder of dozens by a single gunman or the possible loss of an entire facility if a terrorist attack were to occur. Now, the interesting thing with that quote, it's a former law enforcement officer. There's obviously, you know, he has some uh, a set of concerns and values that might not be exactly the same as ours, but it's 
it's absolutely true that as far as a, a strategy to stop a shooter, telling people to put your hands over your eyes is really not a good strategy. Um, and I mean, this it doesn't 100 percent connect to the neighborhood lockdowns, because, again, if, if there were a guy running around the neighborhood shooting a rifle, it would probably be smart to stay in your house. Uh, you know, you got walls and stuff that are going to protect you from bullets. But for these kids, the interesting thing that's happening is that not only is what is what they're to- to being told to do ineffective for the purpose it's supposed to serve, but it's training them that you just obey orders for no reason, you know? Um, and, and, and orders that may, you know, actually harm you. Yeah. And, and even if everyone's heart's in the right place, which I do believe is the case, this is not the way to solve this problem. And also this concept and this idea of fear-mongering where, you know, children are being trained to be scared of school, uh, of, you know, being shot in school. But let's just put that danger in context. You are still extremely, 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 extremely unlikely to be in an active shooter situation in your school. In fact, I think you're probably more likely, I would have to go confirm this, but of dying in a school bus accident. Like I think seven kids a year die on school buses. And, you know, I'm sure if we took that over time for however long there have been school buses and however long there have actually been guns, right? Because those are the two things that need to be compared there. Then, you know, you would find... Oh, maybe like we should be trying to secure school buses, which, by the way, the government has full 100 percent control over and school buses do not have safety belts. On. I know that's never made sense to me. Uh, I mean, if that isn't just the one reason to not trust anything they have to say, I don't know what is. I genuinely don't understand it. Um, yeah, I, so. These I mean, these strategies, I mean, they're 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 taught to children. They're ineffective when they're ported out to the uh, wider world. I mean, it's one thing. Also, you know, there's a lot of debate to be had about things for kids. You have to. There there are different special rules when there are big places that are full of people that are not fully grown adults yet. Um, but out in the wide world of free humans, uh, these things don't fly. I mean, it's the same thing as. Uh, uh, like a joke that I always see where, you know, if, if a teacher gives everyone detention for one person doing something and it's like, just so you know, collective punishment is uh, barred by the Geneva Conventions. <laughs> like, oh, wow. Really? Because I only yes. learned about this very recently that I didn't even really know that that was a tactic that happened. Oh, yeah. Um, so basically, I mean, I was shocked. So how it works is like one kid does something wrong and the everybody entire- gets. Yeah class or the entire table or whatever it is gets into trouble and that blew my mind i was like if we think we have societal problems maybe it's because we aren't treating people right right." well and it's the extension too of the policies where if there's a fight uh it doesn't matter who started it and it's like it absolutely matters who started it and by started it like if you started it by punching me unprovoked if i fight back I'm allowed to fight back. And that's like called yeah, self-defense. And it's supposed to be what you're supposed to do to bullies when they bully you. And if you you're teach supposed to generations let... of kids that you're going to get in as much trouble for being bullied as for being a bully, then maybe people are going to see things, you know, they'll have different incentives for how to behave. Like, it's, it's really bad and warped. I don't know. I, I think that that's one of the most messed up rules. And I know that you have to, you know, you can't have fights happening all the time or whatever. But, like, we are just monkeys. And... <laughs> 
<laughs> monkeys fight. And really, like, stupid monkeys fight more than smart monkeys. And so, like, you have to punish people that start fights. And honestly, I wonder if this drive towards the coddling, right, this coddling of, of children and this drive towards safety, but not with, you know, safety belts on buses, is, is part of what's making our society a little unhealthy. Like, I think maybe, like, a little conflict, maybe even a little physical conflict. I mean, the way, as you say, you stop a bully is you let them know you don't do that. Right. Right? So, yeah, and, my mom and, and, always told me a story about she had a bully, and then he was this big boy that was two years older, and at the bus stop he would pick on everyone and pull people's hair and just be a jerk. And so she... My mom is not 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 a big lady. She's not. She's you know not. She's little, and she she ran down the hill when he wasn't looking from like twenty feet away and just body checked him right into the ground. And he stopped bullying people. He cried like a little baby because bullies don't expect to be hit back. Right. And, uh, and then he didn't do it anymore. Yeah. So like somebody has to teach people lessons sometimes. And I think <laughs> also, you know, a lens maybe for people to look at these issues with is the question becomes, who is the biggest bully in the world? And I think it's the U.S. government. I mean, the, the policies and the procedures from our foreign policy down to the way we are running our schools and the, our schools are basically becoming prisons. Yeah. I mean, do you think that's fair to say? I mean, we have lockdowns, yeah. the vernacular well, and is there. And you can't leave. It's full I mean, control. That's the, that's you have the other... resource officers. You have to ask permission to pee. Right. You, it's, it's just, it's not healthy. And I think as we move away from the drug war. Think about how different that is than like the, the clapboard schoolhouse, you know? Right. Or, you know, the, the 12 kids learning how to read and write kind of thing. Like, it's this regimented institution um, that prepares people for future institutions like prison. Right. <laughs> so, so maybe we should talk a little bit about what could be solutions, right? Yeah. So, so definitely, like, some of the ideas I have is, uh, you know, first of all, I think that we should be filming all police interactions. If you, you know, if you're in a lockdown situation or whatever, grab your phone and definitely record what's going on. We should ask our officers to be wearing body cams. I think that'll help as well. But then we really do need to get some clarity on these issues. I mean, are these, in my opinion, are Fourth Amendment violations. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're going to have to take some of this to the courts. So if someone has an appetite for a situation, definitely, you know, let's, let's see about taking it to the courts. And then really just making people aware. And parents... My best advice to you is to withdraw from the system, get your kids out of the public schools. There are lots and lots of options out there. There's homeschooling, there's mm -hmm. unschooling, there are lots of different ways. And I think that's how we're going to have to do it. We're going to have yeah. to get the kids out of the schools in order to fix Well, and especially the in the cities where it's like people, they're not, they don't care about the kids, where it's a machine. Like in, out in the suburbs where it's a wealthy town where all the parents care and the school's super well, you know, they're well funded because the parents are throwing their own money at it and they're doing it voluntarily. Uh, those places tend to have fewer of these sorts of problems. Um, but yeah, particularly in man, I mean, West and Central, it, it's uh, they're they're probably not the healthiest places to be. And this doesn't mean that if you go there or something that it's bad, um, but 
Yeah, I I feel as though it's training a, a generation of people to be uh, obedient, right? Not and not good servile citizens, and uh, you know, obey right. citizens. No, well, I mean, a, a good citizen in America asks questions and asserts their rights because you're a free human being, and you're you know the the Constitution recognizes your rights that you have. I mean, but the bottom line for me is free people move freely. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, so I think. Uh, we're going to wrap it a little bit early today, but I think that the uh, something that might be good to end on is a, is a quote from a, uh, a veteran and a New, uh, New Hampshire police officer who served uh, in World War II and the Gulf War. Wait, World War II and the Gulf War? That's what he said on Facebook. Uh, that's an old dude. Yeah. Anyway, uh, but <laughs> he may be so old that he meant a different war. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe but he meant Korea? That would maybe make more sense, but he'd still be as old as my grandpa who passed away when I was in seventh grade. I, I mean, I don't know. I pulled that off Facebook, so... Anyway, but it is, it's, a, it's a great quote, and it's thoughtful. It's, uh, let me tell you something. The term lockdown makes my friggin' blood boil. Prisons get locked down, not neighborhoods. The ability to move about freely is one of our greatest freedoms. Does it make it easy, easier for the police if the entire citizenry is locked down so that they may methodically search for a bad guy? Absolutely. Would it likewise make it easier for the police if they were allowed to search our homes and property without a warrant? Absolutely, you make it easier. Would it make it easier for the police if they were allowed to beat us and question us for hours on end until we were so tired that we confessed? Of course. The problem is that we do not exist to make things easier for the police. The police exist to make things easier for us. And that's supposed to be the way it is. So uh, thanks so much for spending some time with us today. And I hope you enjoyed the show. And we will talk to you again soon. Talk to you soon. Peace out. Bye.